But uh, here's where we're going to start off with. Today, the Maxim Institute has released The Heart of Poverty, matching passion with precision for struggling New Zealanders. It's an issues paper, and it's aiming to stimulate and contribute to the debate about poverty in New Zealand. I've put a link up on my Facebook page if you want to read the entire report, which is, what, 44 pages long. The Maxim Institute researcher who wrote this is uh, named Kieran Madden, and he says often in policy debates, passionate people end up talking past each other, using similar words but meaning vastly different things. And he says the heart of poverty is an attempt to bridge the ideological divide that so often stops us from working decisively in unison to help those in need. And so this paper wants to spark a practical discussion about how we can better understand, define, and measure who is affected by poverty in New Zealand. And you know it's an emotive uh, topic. And maybe today we can actually sort of find some sort of middle ground. We have some people who uh, come out and claim that 25% of our children in New Zealand live in poverty. And others who come out and say, I'm sorry, we've walked the streets, we're in society, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing a quarter of all children, therefore a quarter of all families in poverty. But maybe they are. We have to decide what we mean by poverty. And I'd like your contribution to that today. Of course, there's the poverty of the third world. We know about that sort of poverty. But what sort of poverty do we have in a first world country like New Zealand? And then once we figure out communally what that is, what should we do to combat it? I can tell you we must already accept that we have poverty because the policies that are in place to help out those people who are in need, he says with inverted commas, in need, total $47 billion of spending, $47 billion. So we're already spending a truckload of money, and yet complaints still come up that we have poverty. So what is poverty? Do you want me to give you a couple of uh, definitions of policy? I'll give you one. I'll give you one, and then maybe you can phone up and, and tell me what you think, and whether you're seeing what you truly consider to be poverty in this country. There's a fellow called Professor Peter Townsend. He's uh, very big in the UK, and um, his ideas have been accepted by many people around the, country, uh, around the globe and also amongst the UN, be that as it may. Here's what he says. Individuals, families, and groups in the population can be said to be in poverty when they lack the resources to obtain the type of diet, participate in the activities, and have the living conditions and amenities which are customary or at least widely encouraged or approved in the societies to which they belong. So they don't have the resources to, to eat, to socially be active and to live and to have a roof over their heads and the amenities like running water, which has been approved by the society in which they belong. And he says, people in poverty, their resources are so seriously below those commanded by the average individual or family that they are, in effect, excluded from ordinary living patterns, customs, and activities. So that's a definition of poverty. Do we have that here in New Zealand? Have you seen it? People excluded from ordinary living patterns? 0800 801080 is the number to phone. Define poverty. And then move on to think about what we can do. We need to measure it. We need to define it. 0800 801080 is the number to phone. Hello, Kim. Andrew, good afternoon. Poverty in New Zealand. Hmm. It's not defined by what we look on the TV and see in other countries. It's not defined by what the experts tell us. It's defined by what each individual person decides it is. To me, poverty is not being able to afford to buy a birthday present for my son, not being able to afford to have the medical treatment I require, not being able to afford to get someone in to fix the hole in the ceiling in my bedroom. That, to me, is poverty. And that's poverty you are experiencing. Yes. And I'm one of the invisible people. 
I don't qualify for medical treatment to improve my, my lifestyle or my health because I don't meet the level of need. It doesn't matter how much pain I'm in. So that's poverty, poverty in our hospitals because they cannot afford to give me the surgery I require. The poverty that means that five out of seven days a week I sit at home by myself because I can't afford to go out and buy a cup of coffee with friends. Poverty meaning once a month all my money goes on the power bill, which means that for the, le- the rest of the other three weeks I have to budget everything out to survive. Poverty is not being able to go to the dentist, having to put up with toothaches because the dentist is too expensive. A poverty means that I sit here and I wonder, why? How did my life get so bad? Why did my savings run out? Why did I lose my job? Why am I at risk of losing my home? Because I have to sell it to pay for the medical treatment I need. Mm. That's poverty. You just answered, you just asked the question, why? Was there a time when you were not in poverty? Yes, absolutely. There was a time when I could go out and do what I want to go to the movie. I haven't been to the movies in years. Mm. I haven't been anywhere. The last time I went out for dinner, my children took me. Mm. Can you tell me what you were doing in the good times? I had a job. I had a life. I had friends. Um, I was able to fix my house myself. I was able to afford to pay for people to come and do the things I couldn't do. I had a regular income that was suitable to my needs. And I had my health. Hmm. And then what, what changed that, uh, your health? I've got severe inflammatory osteoarthritis. Hmm. And there's no cure for it. And it just gets worse year after year. How many other people do you think are like you? Oh, there's far too many. Out of the people that go to the hospital that need surgery because of the, the poverty of the hospitals, and it is a poverty in the hospitals because some of our treatments are third world, out of the last year 140,000 people that were referred for surgery, 40,000 people got surgery, so 100,000 people are like me that, I, that are statistically out there. So how would you, so what, so what do you need? What do you need um, if we define your condition as being that of poverty? And we'll ask everybody if you, you've heard Kim's story. Is she in poverty? Um, what would you want? I would like to have the surgeries I need because I've been declined for three of them to, re- to, to repair my arthritis. I would have my mobility back. I would have my independence back. I would not need someone to help me shower. I would not need someone to help clean my house. I would be able to do those things myself. I would be able to go out and earn a living that would take me out of the hole that I'm in now. Mm. The one that is slowly... They say when you're in a hole, stop digging. But I haven't even got a shovel. And what happens when you hit the bottom of the hole? (laughs) I'm at the bottom. Mm. All right, Kim. Um... I'd like you to hold on. I think some people would like to talk uh, with you. Uh, and thank you for sharing your tale. And I hope that there is a, a brighter horizon. Um, I don't think so. Have you given up? Yeah. Well, that's a poverty as well, isn't it? It's a poverty of spirit. My spirit got broken ages ago. I resorted to getting a tattoo on my chest. It says, do not resuscitate. Because of the lack of medical treatment that I was needing and denied. And I'm invisible. Nobody sees me. And I'm nobody. All right, Kim, if you'd like to hold on and talk to Andrew, and I thank you once again for your courage in phoning us and telling us your story. So, there's a definition of poverty right there. Indeed, there are some. Um, con- there is a consensus, I think, about what is a minimal acceptable standard of living and what it looks like. I'll run through some of those as the afternoon goes on. Uh, Andrew D at newstalksub.co.nz is the email, and 9292 is the uh, text. And here are, here are a text and an email which um, illustrates what Kira Madden is talking about.
about the way we talk past each other. First, oh, Andrew, how sad this poor woman's life must be. Brings tears to my eyes. And I can understand and sympathize with her. She's right. Poverty exists here in New Zealand. And then the email I received, I have noticed this so-called poverty, that's not a good start, is it, in New Zealand has occurred with the increase in the price of cigarettes. Check out the increase dates and they move at exactly the same price. Cigarettes are now $19.90 a pack. Multiply that by one or two smokers per household, smoking about a packet a day, and that's $278.60 out of the grocery budget. You can see where the monies are going, Chris. Hmm. What Kieran says is passionate people end up talking past each other, and so we can't define poverty. Zara. Oh, hi, Andrew. I really um, wanted to call because, yes, I believe there is um, real poverty. Obviously, the last caller did typify it, and I liked, to the point she made, that, that our poverty is defined by the individual, apart from that definition, and it's down to those individual things that you are deprived of because of your situation. And she refers also to being an invisible person, and that is my personal experience of it. I met somebody last year who I got into a personal relationship with who lived in poverty. Because of his situation, he could not afford to buy food on a weekly basis, which I'm talking about the low brands. You couldn't even afford to do that. And that's one of the basic sort of average behaviours that, that, you know, the, the report refers to. He was a situation of a man who did not drink or smoke. He had previously done that many years ago. He'd gone through completely transforming his life. He was unemployed, and that historically would date back to a lack of skill. So he had 10 years' experience in the printing industry. Um, his Most of his benefit went on... Um, accommodation costs living in Auckland, which he lived in a, a boarding house. Um, he could not run a car. He simply couldn't. He could not go out for a coffee with people. He was invisible and isolated. He relied on the goodwill of others. Um, he was positive. He hoped for change. He retrained, uh, got IT qualifications. Due to his history and his age, he probably applied for 60 jobs and got, got none of those at all. Um, he wore jandals in the middle of winter because that was all he had. Um, I never saw him in the two and a half years that I knew him buying new clothes. I ended up buying him a couple of nice tops. Um, he, he was a lovely person. He contributed. He volunteered at various organized, two organizations within Auckland, but he was invisible to those that define poverty. Um, you could maybe look back and say he'd made poor choices in his 20s. He'd certainly been in jail. But, I mean, when are you allowed to change your life and still not become a victim of, of poverty? Yeah. yeah, myself, I mean, I, I lost my job last year due to redundancy. I have tertiary qualifications. I have, I have a degree in a postgrad. I have only just gone back into to full-time work, I worked part-time, and I, I knew poverty. Mm. I couldn't, movies, coffees, gone. I had food, mm. and I had petrol, but dentistry, doctor, I couldn't go to the doctor because it was $42, and it meant if I did that, I couldn't have food. Mm. Yes, well, I think this is what the Maxim Institute is trying to, to stimulate, that people talk about this level of poverty, and they don't instantly sort of uh, say it's the beneficiary culture or these people are lazy, etc. Or, and also to say it's all the riches' fault because you know they don't pay us very much money and and uh, they hog all all the resources. You've got to realise that poverty is uh, comes about because of a multitude of factors, and including with your man the fact that he was unskilled, which goes yeah. all the way back to his education in the beginning. Yeah, you and know? all the social problems that he would have struck in his his childhood, his teens, and his poor choices. But for me, I mean, I wondered how I'd ever got into the situation. I mean. I, ha I did the right things. I got the education. I had the work experience. I had one child. Um, I lived within my means. But my yeah. skills weren't as in such high demand. I worked part-time in a completely unrelated field. I am not lazy. Mm. Never lazy. I kept my skills current by volunteering and being involved in service organizations. Um, and I kept my spirit up. Sarah? Despite mm. probably, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm very. I understand you're on your lunch break at the moment, and you have to talk quite rather quickly because you've got to go because you're back working, which I'm sure you're so grateful about because you spent that. Eternally grateful (laughs) because you spent that time, and it always. So thank you very much for for your call today to the show. So there we go. We're defining poverty. We're deciding whether poverty exists, and so we're not talking past each other. And Zara points out a factor that many of us are in. Many of us are only two pay packets away from bankruptcy. That's how on the edge we are, and that bankruptcy results in poverty, particularly if it lasts longer than 12 months. 0800 is the number to phone. Defining poverty, measuring poverty, before we can even start to fight poverty, that's what this Institute report wants to do. News talks here, Hello, Jane. Uh, hi, Andrew. Um, yeah, I was just ringing. I, I, I listened to your initial definition of poverty, and that was kind of what prompted me, because I don't necessarily agree with it. I, mm-hmm. When it said that uh, poverty is where you can't afford what is commonly accepted in your community. I thought, oh, in that case, I'm in poverty, but I don't think I am. <laughs> but I know that, you know, in, in the community that I live in, it's, very, it's accepted that, you know, your children will go to soccer or they'll go to gymnastics or swimming mm. classes, and I personally can't afford those, so my children don't go to them. But I, that doesn't mean that I'm in poverty. It just means I know what I can't afford, so I don't go and try and participate in those things. I can't afford to go out for coffee, so I don't. I buy coffee from Pack and Save. Yeah. Jane, you make a very, good, you make a very good point because the, uh, the Institute's report, uh, it talks about poverty in many different ways, and it has one uh, chapter called The Good Life. Yeah. And the definition of the good life and whether the good life is actually then associated with poverty. And they say it's very possible for people to be having very good lives, even though they're actually living in what could be defined as a state of poverty. Yeah. Um, and that, that needs to be considered. Sorry. That needs to be considered when we decide our policies to fight uh, poverty as to whether people are actually leading a good life even though they may, in fact, not have a mobile phone, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's another thing that I see quite often is I see people that I know, you know, they have a lot of children and they don't have much money, and yet they have a Samsung S5, and I can't help but think, you can't afford that. Mm. <laughs> and if you can't afford it, you really shouldn't have it. I mean, my husband and I both work full-time, and we're both full-time students. And we've both had $19 phones for the last five years because we had no need to have smartphone. Mm. And so, yeah, I just kind of think people need to be aware of what their priorities are and and not... I do feel for those that are genuinely in states of poverty, but not cry victim as soon as you can't do what your friends are doing. Mm. Um, yes, Jane, no, no, and that's a very important point when we come to defining and measuring poverty as well and then deciding what to do about it um, when people ask for help when they have too many resources already or they're leading a perfectly functioning life, we need to decide, for instance, like the phone. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, for instance, though, uh, a number of texts coming through after our very first heartbreaking call from Kim, who said that she may be forced to sell her house. Uh, text is saying, how can you own a house and be poor? And someone saying, for goodness sake, that's an example of poverty of intellect. And that's what we've got in New Zealand. People make choices. Why doesn't she sell her house and downsize? But then she has to think about what roof is going to be over her head. But the, and, the, and the way she ended up in poverty was because of her arthritis in her, in her hips. Now surely, and because of the waiting list at the hospitals, surely if we fix those hips, fix the waiting list, then we're not paying out the sickness benefit to the 100,000 people who haven't had their, their operations and we get them back to work. And that's a combating poverty. Just a thought, 0800 801080 is the number to phone. Defining and measuring poverty before we can solve it. Andrew Dickens. Powered by Res V from About Health. Proudly made in New Zealand on News Talk ZB. Now we asked him to hold on because we had calls from all around the country of people wanting to help and wanting to fix that hole in her roof. So those are people who defined her condition as poverty and they're people who wanted to help her fight that poverty. Uh, as compared to the people on the texts that we've had saying, uh, how can you own a house and be poor, just sell it and fix it and uh, stop moaning about it. So this is all part of this conversation that uh, Kira, Ma- Ma- Kira Madden from Maxim Institute wants to do. He doesn't want us to end up talking past each other. 0800 is the number to phone. Hello, Stu. Yeah, how are you? Thank you for holding on. Yeah, no worries. Um, the first lady, a very, uh, I think it's a very sad, very tragic uh, story. 
Um, and I can emphasise with her, I too am um, suffering from long-term pain and uh, pretty much unemployable. Uh, but I fully disagree, um, and I couldn't disagree stronger with her, um, her opinion that uh, poverty is to be determined by the individual. I like what the Maximum or Maxim Institute had to say. Um, it, it has to be defined, it has to be nationally accepted, not defined on, defined on an individual basis. The, the Maxim Institute uh, compared to the average. Um, the danger we run into with comparing to the average is I believe in New Zealand uh, the middle class are living on debt. So to compare to the average is, is not an accurate um, mm. picture of, of what we should be aiming at or mm. aiming to. I think we really need to look at the um, wealth imbalance there's a, there's a real problem. I think nobody, I, I don't believe anyone would deny that there's a wealth imbalance problem. Um, to spout around uh, through the media, poverty this, poverty that, is not helpful. Mm. Um, it gets people's back up that disagree with the fact that there is poverty in New, Ze New Zealand. You know, we, we need to define poverty, we need to establish is there and at what level. And then we can work to together towards um, remedying that. You're, you're absolutely correct. You're a very smart man, Stu. Thank you. That's a very good call as oh, my, well. My wife thinks so too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because you're talking about the middle uh, middle class that are living on debt, and it's, it's what I said before, where we're just two pay packets away from bankruptcy and probable um, poverty. In fact, we're living in a dream. You know. Um, now, you talk about the wealth imbalance. Now, whenever we uh, talk about that, people start talking past each other as well. Because uh, it, immediately you think, well, to fix that, we need to start taxing the rich because they're the evil ones. And that's not a way you can think about that either. It's not about taxing the rich, but it's improving the, the earnings and the income of the less well-off. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think if we, we nail the rich, well, the country will suffer. Hmm. If, if we steal from the rich, the country will suffer. If we let the rich continue with capitalism unabated, the country will suffer. Um, it's, it's to find uh, medium ground, you know, a place where we, we can uh, take from the rich, if you like. Mm. We can tax the rich and we can help those who uh, don't have the ability to help themselves. Uh, over the last 20 years, I've seen in New Zealand uh, a lifestyle choice um, mentality sort of developing where we can have a lifestyle choice, either consciously or subconsciously, to put ourselves in a poor bracket rather than work hard, knuckle down and mm. delayed gratification, which is a mantra I've used through the majority of my um, mm. teens and 20s and 30s. So some people, some people have called themselves poor and some people put themselves in, in poverty because of yeah. what, uh, uh, what Zara said, because uh, they can't afford the, to buy the uniforms for the kids to play soccer. Well... That's not, have, that's not poverty. I have five kids, and I, and I um, put them through sport, and I put them through music lessons because I see they, they for particular reasons, are essential. But, but I think it's... Uh, I don't think not being able to pay for sport or not being able to pay for music lessons is, is a significant issue. It's, mm. it's a minor, really. Yep. Um, putting food on the table... I think one of your texters or one of your callers had an important point to make, although they didn't... wasn't probably put forward in a helpful way, but um, education, um, and what, by that I don't mean primary, secondary and um, tertiary, I mean world education, understanding uh, about investments, the difference between an asset and a liability. It's simple stuff, mm. but the middle class are getting themselves more indebted as, as life goes on, day after day, for liabilities. You know, the new Commodore, the new Falcon, yeah. the boat, the holiday batch, and the wealth, just, uh, the wealthy appear to be getting wealthier and wealthier and the gap opening up. And that's because there's a shift in, in power, if you like, where the, the wealthy are gaining control of true assets mm. and the middle class are gaining control of liabilities. Yeah, that's, very, so that's a very good point. The difference. Yeah, that's an extremely good point. You, because the Commodore has devalued by 15% the day you drive out the dealership with it. Yeah, you hit the, you hit the footpath, you've lost 15,000, 20,000. Um, okay, I've got to go. Stu, I've got no to go because uh, you guys have all been talking so well, so we're running a little short of time. But can I just... Well, thank you for the time. It's a pleasure, mate. And can I just say I drive a 1999 Volvo? <laughs> uh, I drive an 85 Isuzu. Good man. And I bought it secondhand. Jared, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going? Great. you got a couple of minutes, mate. Off you go. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that um, 
well, I was unemployed recently, like in, in the past couple of years, and um, you know, it's not that I wasn't looking for work or anything like that, but um, the amount of money that I had from the government was ridiculous. Like, I I still had enough money for a flat. I had enough money to do what I wanted, um, and you know, if, if I can do that without really contributing anything, then how can we have poverty? Like, I, okay, I don't, yeah. I don't understand um, how. You know, if I can if I can get by absolutely fine, and all my unemployed uh, friends at the time were getting like fridges and stuff mm. for free, how is how do we have any poverty left in the country? Well, well, we are, um, like I said, we spend $47 billion on the poverty problem. If you look at all the social welfare and all the health and et cetera and, and the education, everything that we do, it's $47 billion, which is there to uh, maintain what everyone says is an average or, you know, uh, state of life. And so you have benefited from that, which got you back on, on track and kept a roof over your head. Yep. And I think, I've, um, I think I've actually recently just paid off all the money that I, um, I was given through tax. So I'm pretty proud of that. Great. Well, it shows that the policies can work if you have the right attitude, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, um, I, I think that I got a ridiculous amount. You know, I, okay. I think that I had more than I needed. Well, the, the report talks about that good life thing, you know, and whether you're satisfied with what you've got and what you can do and whether you still have, whether you have uh, actually attained a poverty of spirit. Which yeah. is which is the end of it, and and that's where people are. When, when we talk about poverty, and that twenty five percent of New Zealand kids are in poverty, and all that sort of thing, and everyone starts shouting at each other, what they're not understanding is that there's a poverty of spirit as well, and it's all combined. It's a poverty of the in the head. There's a poverty in the in the pocketbook. There's a poverty in in terms of shelter. And once we understand all of that and really define poverty properly, then maybe we can really knuckle down and make sure the money's going to the right place. Define, measure poverty, and then you can start fixing it. 0800 801080, back after news and sport. News Talks ZB with Andrew Dickens, 0800 801080 is the number to phone. You can email me, andrewd at newstalkzb.co.nz, and you can uh, text 9292ZBZB. We're talking poverty because the Maxim Institute has released the Heart of Poverty report today. It's an issues paper aimed to stimulate and contribute to the debate about poverty in New Zealand. And the writer, a researcher, Kira Madden, says that in New Zealand we end up talking past each other. And you know it, don't you? There are some people who say there's no poverty in New Zealand. No, no, that's just a that's just an invention of the left. And there is the poverty industry that makes claims such as 25% of our children live in poverty. Poverty is the biggest problem currently facing this country. So uh, what this paper wants to do, and you can uh, download it on my Facebook site, Andrew Dickens, there be all in one word. I've got it right there. You can read it. It's 44 pages long. Uh, it wants us to better understand, define and measure who is affected by poverty in New Zealand because they say at the moment we spend $47 billion on the poverty uh, trade, our government does, and maybe because we're ill-defining it, we're ill-measuring it, uh, we're not actually spending that money in the correct way. Of course, there's two things. There's absolute poverty. That's your third world stuff. Absolute poverty. But then there's what they call relative poverty poverty. And that's what we're discussing here. And so far, we've done it for an hour. You have to say, relatively, there are people who are living in poverty in New Zealand. The 1972 Royal Commission on Social Security stated that everyone should be, and this is uh, what we would call a minimal standard of living, able to enjoy a standard of living much like that of the rest of the community, and thus is able to feel a sense of participation and belonging to the community so that no one is so poor that they cannot eat the sort of food that New Zealanders usually eat, wear the same sort of clothes, and take a moderate part in those activities which the ordinary New Zealander takes part of in as a matter of course. So that's their definition of poverty. What's yours? You know, uh, 0800 80 is the number to phone. Hello, Ian. Oh, hello, Andrew. Um, it's a brave topic to discuss, and I think it, it's one that's worthy of a deep discussion. Um, I, I grew up in a family that, um, you know, I'm a baby boomer, so I, I grew up in a time when most people I knew owned their own home, and those that 
didn't own their own home were in state houses. We were in uh, we were in rental accommodation, but my father's income was too high for the state house. So, and he he um, wasted most of his income. So we we were probably in poverty at that time. Mm. Um, but. Uh, the, the telling moment came when I was 16 and the landlord said, I want my house back. Mm. And we had great difficulty in finding other accommodation and it was one of the most frightening moments of my life. But, uh, but I've, I've got over that and I've uh, come into better times. But uh, somebody said, didn't they, that the rich, rich are always with us and the poor are always with us. So it's going to be... Um, a bit unrealistic to eliminate either end of the spectrum, isn't it? Not eliminate, but minimise. Minimise. Well, certainly, no. I'm going to say this is from my point of view. Minimise the lower end of the spectrum. Minimise the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah. So are we talking about a material poverty that we're lowering or are we talking about this um, poverty of heart or poverty of spirit? Well, I think many people would say that if you uh, minimise material poverty, then you will um, uh, dispense with the poverty of the spirit and the heart. That might be the situation in New Zealand, but um, and maybe that is our, our situation. But I've been to countries overseas, and I've lived amongst people overseas, and I've seen them living in much poorer conditions than ours, mm. and they don't consider themselves to be in poverty. They... they they're, they're quite happy. Relative poverty and this is absolute poverty. They may uh, be living in poverty, but relatively they are living the same as everybody else, and so they don't feel that they don't feel that they have been excluded from the community. Now, and, and, and I've just read that out of the 1972 Royal Commission on Social Security when they're talking about standards of living. It is relative. It's the ability to feel a sense of participation and belonging to the community. So that, that's it then, really, isn't it? So it's, rel so it's relative poverty. If people think they're in poverty, uh, are experiencing poverty, uh, they're the ones we, we have to address. Hmm. Yes. Exactly, and, and therefore we have to define it and measure it um, yeah. because some people may think they're in poverty when they're not. And some people might actually think they're not in poverty when they are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know. Relativity, don't you love it? There's no winners in this. But, you know, at the same time... The, it's important to get to a point where you accept there is some poverty or, and you accept that our community has been weakened because of it. Yeah. Um, and I would think that's why the Maxim Institute has done this, because we've been talking past our, ourselves so much. We're, we're split. Yeah, just one point on that. Just, um, one thing that does concern me a little bit about this, these percentages, and um, I'm not quite sure who, who, who comes up with these figures, but I've heard a similar statistic in relation to literacy, and believe it or not, there are people out there saying that we have 30% illiteracy. Now, mm. is that your perception? <laughs> well, I don't know. You're talking to the wrong person. I had a son who was dyslexic, and you could almost say that he was illiterate for a part of his, his life, and yet I know he's certainly not now. Yeah, yeah. You know. All right, Ian, I thank you so much. 0800 801080 is the number to phone, measuring and defining poverty. Uh, there is, uh, this report has, it hasn't come up with any conclusions, but it's raised all the debate points and where we actually have our flashes. But it starts talking about a minimal acceptable standard of living. And they've actually made a list of what they think may be our absolute needs. And it starts with clean drinking water, and then sanitation and waste disposal. And then adequate food and nutrition. And then hot running water. And then suitable clothes and shoes. And then adequate housing and shelter and warmth. And I think if you don't have those, it's fair to say you're in a poverty state. Then they move on, though, and they say dental and medical care as required. Mains electricity. Household durable goods for food storage, for cooking, for sleeping, for cleaning, for maintenance. Transport for employment, supplies, children, leisure. Technology, including a computer in the household and broadband internet access. This is what they're saying could be the list for minimal acceptable standard of living. Social engagement that involves financial cost and financial resources to cope with unexpected essential expenses.
They said that a mobile phone is not yet on that list, but is becoming closer and closer. What's your thought about that list? 0800 80 10 80 News Talk ZB. Yes, the time is uh, 121. Alex, hello. Hi, Andrew. Um, look, I'm sorry I might shoot a lot of people in the foot here uh, in what I'm going to say, but I think the main po- main reason, too, is pure laziness, you know. Um, I've got three jobs. I have to give one of the jobs up because my second job I'm paying like 32% uh, tax on that job. So I really feel that this really job, if some people, is re- uh, you know, they're really hoping to get a job, but they, they pray not to get a job. I'll give you an example. I, I, I'm working in mental health in the community. I work with this one, one lady, and she said to me, oh, you know, it's better to be an adult than the hard work I'm, I'm doing, at, 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 you know, at this moment. So I really feel that jobs are there. You just have to be, you know, willing to work, willing to sacrifice the little bit that you can to find a job. And, and I do respect those those people who who maybe has a disability who can't maybe work or mm. or maybe provide for the family, but I really feel you know um, that you can if you want to survive you, you you can make it work. There's so many times I work in a community. I, I drive past a house. I see this old shack, the, the old house, but they're driving this new sports cars. Uh, things that they can't afford, you know, that they, mm. that they fork out their money on unnecessary things. Yes, yeah, well, um, that's, that, uh, that's that definition that everyone's saying, you know, uh, the, the um, feeling like you're living like the rest of the community. So even though you can't afford it, you've actually got yourself a fairly good car, you know. Uh, when I came to New Zealand, I was in, uh, in educated. I went to uni. I, I made a way. I, I want to study. I want to learn. I want to get a job. I want to do things to, 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 to provide for my family. And, and, and I mean, this big, one big thing that, that put, put, you know, put us back, and that is just pure one word, laziness. Okay. Well, look, this is about defining poverty, and maybe some people, when, you know, when we have these uh, 270,000 uh, families are in poverty, you know, it's, it's because of uh, the defining of the whole thing. Uh, as you say, you can get out of it and you can live a perfectly great life and not feel that you're in poverty, in which case we should redirect the uh, argument to what really is poverty. That's what the Institute is saying. So you're saying you came here, you could possibly have been defined in poverty, but you were motivated enough to get three jobs and get off it. Exactly. Therefore, therefore, any help that we ever gave you should not be uh, defined as poverty help. Exactly. And I mean, and, you and, know, people... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, and I think there are people due to health conditions, mental conditions, and you should know that as a mental health worker, uh, due to social stigma, etc., who are never going to be uh, getting a job, uh, who may even not even qualify for the appropriate benefits, who are living hand-to-mouth and they're couch-surfing and they've got no money and they are, therefore, in poverty. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and you know, uh, me as a mental health worker, uh, with this to support the clients, you know, to get a, some kind of job, you know, maybe like um, delivering paper, uh, news, newspapers or, 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 or something, you know, at, mm. at least they, they, they can learn how to budget on the end of the day. Yeah. All right, Alex, well done. Congratulations and thank you so much for your uh, call today. It is a 125. Email in from John. And he says, poverty in New Zealand, if it exists, should be defined as one's inability to make decent decisions, i.e. a paucity of brain cells. But John writes, I am a solo dad with two teenagers living on $25,000 per year and renting. Yes, I have made poor choices. We are all healthy, happy, and eat fresh food. The kids belong to sporting and cultural clubs, as do I. I get family benefits as any other family can, but I don't drink, smoke, or gamble. I drive an old second-hand car. I can do all this because I make decent decisions and do not blame others for where I am. So therefore, of course, to define poverty, we can't just say, oh, it's because you're earning $25,000 a year, you're renting, you've got a couple of kids, because John will not be saying he's in poverty. 0800 is the number to phone, measuring...
and defining poverty in New Zealand. People keep on saying it's the, it's the issue of the age, that, and the, and the wealth gap. So we'd better figure out where we're coming from on it, shouldn't we? 0800 80 10 80, 126 is the time. Talk back on 0800 80 10 80. Danny Watson Afternoon with Andrew Dickin. Powered by Res V from About Health. Proudly made in New Zealand on News Talk ZV. Yes, I read out a list of what, uh, what uh, the Maxims, uh, Maxim Institute suggested was a minimal acceptable standard of living in New Zealand. And I've had some comments saying that it sounds like they came up with that list and then uh, measured poverty as anyone who doesn't come up with that. And people started wondering, who do the Maxim Institute work for? And uh, just looking quickly on the old Wikipedia, uh, the Maxim Institute is a research and public, public policy think tank. It's uh, orientated towards a conservative perspective. Uh, it's issues of primary concern, which are now education, tax and welfare policy. Though initially identifiable as a social conservative organisation, its policy statements have emphasised fiscal restraint within tax and welfare policy. Their report is called The Heart of Poverty, Matching Passion with Precision for Struggling New Zealanders. So that's where they're coming from. What they're trying to say to us is we need to define poverty properly. And, that both, and they say it in their intro, both sides uh, are extreme. What is the middle ground? Barry, hello. Hello, thank you for taking my call. I really want to discuss this important subject with you. The first thing is that we do have extreme poverty in New Zealand and it has been caused by property inflation over the last 10 years. When the Helen Clark administration started, houses, the average house was $177,000, and then the Labour administration flooded the country with cheap money, and then these houses rose to three hundred and fifty dollars to $400,000, and now it's $800,000. So if we take the rental for these houses, they are approximately thirty to $40,000 a year. But yet our average wage in New Zealand, although John Key said it's $55,000, in reality, most of the bottom echelon or bottom social workers are only earning between thirty and $40,000 a year. I mean, that's before tax. Yeah, and so therefore, if you take the standard of living that you shouldn't be paying more than 25% rent in your income, it means that the property values, hmm. which has been poor management on the government's part, is totally out of kilter with the income. Andrew, poverty is a little bit like white sugar. It's a terrible uh, <coughs> danger to society, but we don't, we're not aware of it. Yep. And we can solve it very simply. It's quite simple that the government owns a huge amount of property. And funnily enough, uh, Bob the Builder, the National MP for Tauranga, <laughs> tried very hard to get leasehold land mm. and putting buildings on it. Mm. So if we leased the land and the land was leased in a ratio to the minimum wage, that percentage, mm. and then we put properties on it, but the other thing that's also putting property up, there's two things other than the inflationary factor. One is I don't believe that investors should receive any benefit through rezoning density. Okay, you're getting into, you know, Barry, you're getting into specifics now, and I understand what you're talking about, but, uh, but you make a very good point. It has been a, a national crime, you know, ever since uh, the wars and the men came back, we just never had had enough houses. And you would have seen the House Appreciation Survey yesterday, which said that house prices went up $38,000. Yes. Wages in the same time, $34.53 a week. That's so right. So we have this great wage gap, house gap, affordability gap, and that's one of the uh, drivers of poverty that you know, our accom uh, accommodation costs so much. And you're quite right. We should be uh, opening it up. The housing accords uh, that have been around, uh, that have been in the news uh, today. And this week, you know, that's a bit of land on the edge, but they're not nearly as far and as radical as you're suggesting. 
Yeah, but the other thing I want to say is just that overseas have dealt with this problem and they have dealt with two forms of co-op housing. Yep. One, they put in you know, medium-density apartments mm. around a school, using the school as a community, as the focal point. And with the community co-op, they can bulk buy, they can have... Absolutely, Barry. Barry, you're, you're, you're preaching to the converted. If you go to New York, of course, you've got rental co-ops there as well. You've got rental controls there as well. And, and that's why a city of, you know, 15 million-odd people all up in the greater area uh, is more affordable than Auckland. 0800 80 is the number to phone. Hello, Mary. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, with the people on the very low income, do they ever go to these op shops sprinkled around town? I should, I, I, should, I should hope so, because I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I help out every now and then, and mm. there's not a lot of people come in. You know, you're not, you're not flat out or anything. There's just some days there might be hardly anyone. Well, this is, this, I don't think clothing is actually a, bigger, a big deal when it comes to the measurement of, of poverty because of uh, the, how incredibly cheap it's become um, with Chinese manufacturing, etc. Um, clothes, clothes are very cheap. There's no, no reason for anybody in New Zealand not to have clothes on their feet, nor uh, should they uh, have, not have shoes on their feet. Yeah, because there has been a mention of, you know, people, someone's had to buy clothes for someone, and, um, but, you know, things are very cheap, and some of the opportunity shops, like St Vincent and the Paul, and that, they quite often have food items to give away, and... Yeah. Yeah. Things like that as well. Well, my, my, uh, the mother of my children actually does, uh, eat once a month, she does volunteer work for the uh, hospice uh, op shop, and she always comes back with a couple of dresses and a couple of shoes. <laughs> well, I think it's a lovely lot. It, it is fantastic yeah. stuff. It is fantastic yeah. stuff. But, you know, we, we've, had, we've had strident calls about poverty in New Zealand and child poverty, and there are kids turning up to our schools and they're not wearing any shoes. Yeah, and, they've got... This is an age when you can go to number one shoe warehouse and buy a set of shoes that will last you for a year for 25 bucks. Yeah, and they might have Coke in their lunch, with their lunch and all these bought biscuits and things. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. We're talking about do we have poverty, and I think enough people have come on and say we have, but the problem is the debate, and this is what Maxim Institute talks about, the debate has been hijacked by trying to define it. Now, that 270,000, that was because of the, um, the percentage of the medium wage. So if you're in the bottom 40% of the percentage of the medium wage, people were defining that as being poverty. Well, that means there will always be poverty in New Zealand, as Lee points out in the text, when poverty is measured as a, that percentage. Uh, because of the bell curve, there will always be poverty. And in fact, someone sent me an article by Rodney Hyde, which is arguing that. And that is just useless argument. Rodney, because it doesn't take a, any account of those people who truly are in poverty. And that's because you're arguing the definition and not trying to look for a better definition or a better meaning of, of poverty. And that's what we're wanting to do here today for a while, and it's what the Maxim Institute is wanting to do with their Heart of Poverty report, which I'm sure they're going to use to find that we don't quite have as much poverty as the poverty industry says but that's not to say we have none. Bruce, g'day. Hello, good afternoon, Andrew. Hello, I've, about poverty and where it comes from. And My father, years and years ago, when we were just growing up, he said one quote, and I've never forgotten this, you won't cure poverty by giving people money. You'll always have the poor, middle class and the upper class. And I think that's true to today. And I believe, honestly, that people, and I, we were encouraged by, we had, there's five children in our family, I'm in Christchurch here, incidentally, and uh, we were encouraged to save while we were young, and we did, and uh, things were pretty tight. Dad um, didn't work after the age of 38 years of age because of TB, and so we really had it fairly reasonably, um, you know, it was pretty tough at times. Yeah. And uh, I think that there's, with a lot of um, people, maybe, is it their own doing, that they are expecting too much out of life? They're not, they haven't saved. And, and one thing that perhaps is the, one of the reasons is the credit card, that people are spending to the max on that. What do you think about that? And they're just continually in debt. 
I think there are some people with that problem, but I, I, most of the people I know with credit cards are, are loving them because they always pay them off immediately, and in fact, they're getting their money for free for, for two well, months. Now, I, I'm, I just rely on national super. Mm, yeah. And, um, and credit cards, maybe. I think, I think there is a middle class. I, did you hear Dr. Ben Carson this morning? No, no, I didn't. I was away this morning. I've only just more or less tuned in. Right. Mr. Common Sense, right? And Mr. And, but he's somewhat against big government. But he, 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 there was one sentence that rang true, that uh, due to governmental policies in the Western world for a very long time, we've ended out with a, an elite ruling class that tells us what to do, government, um, or you could actually also say um, capitalists, I think. And then you've got a struggling, large, huge middle class who are right on the edge. And then you've got the dependents who have uh, fallen off the, off the truck. And I think that is true. Um, and, and people have talked about uh, how middle class people are only two, you know, a couple of pay packets away from disaster because of the cost of housing and because of the cost of... Um, Life. People are renting and they've got a yep. large family, but of course, yep. if they, um, well, dare I say it, uh, to re reduce the number of children that they're going to have, because it costs, I've heard of figures, over $100,000 or maybe 150000 to raise one child from birth to the time they leave home. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge outgoing for, um, for a, a, a um, family with right. much income. We're not, we're not talking about answers, that's to come later, but I think if we minimise the cost of necessities such as water, which we, water rates going up in, um, in Auckland, I believe, this week. Isn't that right? The water rates are going up. Uh, yeah, necessities, water and, 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 and food and nutrition and sanitation and waste disposal and electricity. Reduce the cost of that. And instantly you're going to have a lot more people who are not as impoverished as before. 0800 is the number to phone. News Talk ZB. Andrew Dickens, powered by ResV from About Health, proudly made in New Zealand on News Talk ZB. Hello, Susie. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Great. Andrew, I've just been listening to your show, which has yep. been good, but I, I lost my job in October, mm. and um, I had uh, a bit of a slap in the face with, with money, wise and stuff. I found it really hard. I had to go on a benefit because mm. I was down quite a bit of money and I didn't know how in the heck I was going to cope and I was, I was struggling a bit because I had a bit of debt as well until um, a, a very good friend of mine took me to a budget advisor and, um, and I've been under her now for about a month and she did a budget for me and honestly, Andrew, um, what I get for my benefit a week, what she's done with that benefit is amazing. Well, what's the secret? Everyone's all ears. Yeah, that, that, it's, it's, it's just that she stretched that... You know, what she's done with my money is amazing. I feel so much better now. Well, like I'm saying, give us a, a specific. Well, look, she's even got me um, save. She's even got me paying my doctor off $10 a week so that when I go to the doctor, I'm in credit. So you're automatically putting $10 in even yeah, without yeah, going to yeah, the doctor? That's, that's what she's got me to do. And I'm paying my telecom account off weekly now instead of once a month and, and, and that sort of stuff. And... Um, and she's um, going to give me more. We're going to redo the budget. She's going to give me some more money for food, mm. and um, she's and, it's, and she's allowed sort of five dollars a week for a coffee or something like that. And, and I don't get a lot a week, Andrew. I don't. I'm not on. A, I'm only on the job seekers benefit, and it's not a lot a week. But what she's made out, what she's made that, what she's done for me is really amazing. I feel so much better. I would like more money. I'm, I am looking for a job, but what I'm trying to say is. Budget advising really helps too. I was scared to go because I didn't want to swallow my pride and have anyone telling me what to do with my money or mm. trying to help me with my money because I thought I was doing okay with my money. Well, that should be compulsory for all beneficiaries, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it should be. And, and it's just, it's just, um, I'm grateful for the benefit. It's not a lot. It's really, it's, it's mm. not a lot at all. I'd like more, but I tried to get on the invalid's benefit because I've got mental health issues, but I couldn't get on it because I didn't have enough. Um, Paperwork signed and that sort of stuff, but um, but the benefit I'm on is only uh, averaging yeah. over two hundred dollars a week. Oh look, honey, sometimes it's harder to actually get on a, a, to do the work to stay on a benefit yeah. than it is to actually work. I mean, gosh, there's some pa paperwork involved, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and that's purposeful, I think, and, and yeah. possibly a good thing. Yeah, but I want just to say mm. that the budget advising has really helped me. I'm on a budget now, and, and I know where my money's going. And she's, and I've even got a bit left over each week, Andrew. That's good. Uh, have you got a job, by the way? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I haven't had much luck, to be quite honest. But I do a bit of voluntary work. Work, 
Mm. And um, and that, and I help out, and I'm under Workbridge um, where I am, and um, they try and help me. So okay. there's not much at the moment. Well, under under some of the um, poverty regime specialists, you know, who who look at who's in poverty, they'd be saying you're in poverty, but you don't have a poverty of spirit, so I, I wouldn't qualify you as being in poverty. Yeah. Hey, yeah, great. Thank you so much, Susie. Peter, good day. Yeah, g'day, Andrew. Uh, j- just sort of flicked on. Did I hear you say um, a few minutes ago that um, part of the statistics used to decide uh, who's in poverty is to do with income? Yeah. That's flawed. Yes, it is. Um, you know, I've got a close uh, family member whose income's extremely low, uh, you know, below the minimum wage, and yet uh, they're classed as a high net worth individual. Because they've got a house but no job? Well, no, they, they, they work, but they've done certain, they're in a low paying job, but they've done certain things over the years and built up, built up assets. And these people have got, you know, many zeros behind their name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you looked at their income, their, their income is below the, uh, what the average wage is. So, so, you know, I reckon it's flawed. Yes, it is. Now, the, the whole children in poverty uh, definition of, uh, you know, a quarter of a million of, of the kids was uh, if you suffered in poverty, if you, su- you were suffering in poverty, if your household's net income is less than 60% of your equivalent household's median income. The cutoff income with, uh, for a couple with four children, therefore, being around about $1,000 a week. That's $52,000 a year net in the hand. Would you call that poverty? Well, not really, but I mean, I mean, you know, what's that good old saying? You know, there's statistics, statistics, and damn, damn lies. lies. Yes, uh, absolutely. You but, know, but you see, what happened? I'm, I'm quoting that off Rodney Hyde's article, where he's talking about, you know, come on, give me a break about, um, about poverty, uh, and. I think that's that's what the Maxim Institute is saying. If we use that, that's a flawed, as you said, it's a flawed a flawed measure. But is that to say that some people aren't living in poverty in our society? What do you think, Peter? Well, that's the debatable issue, isn't it? I mean, in the in the line of work I'm in, I get around to the lower socioeconomic areas uh, just about all day, every day. And I was actually uh, driving through one about five minutes ago and uh, thought of you when I looked up and saw Sky TV dishes for Africa, you know? Mm. Yep. Okay, Peter. Cheers. It's, it's, it's subjective, eh? I yep. mean, uh, and because of the uh, social welfare system we have, you know, basically no one in New Zealand should really be starving. Mm. Um, and they should be able to get, get food and have enough to eat. And have, have but what, hey, hell, hello. What sort of society can we claim to be when we go, well, nobody should be starving? <laughs> you know. Well. Yeah. Okay, Peter, all the best. And you're right, it's subjective, and that's why it's called relative poverty, and that's why it needs definition, and that's what the debate has been from the Maxim Institute. Uh, by releasing this report so that we actually get to a point where, where, the, where the poverty industry and the people who say there's no poverty actually come to a middle ground and we figure out what to do for those people who are actually in true need. Um, News Talks here, it is 6 to 2. John is online. Hi, John. Yeah, good evening. Uh, good afternoon, Andrew. There's, you know, we send our kids to school to learn to read and write and all the other things, but there's one subject that seems to be taboo for people to talk about in this country. It's called financial literacy. Mm. And, you know, a lot of the poverty in New Zealand and anywhere around the world is caused by the fact that people, no matter how much they earn, they cannot budget, they cannot, uh, you know keep themselves right financially because they have no idea. I mean, there's so many more things out there now for people to go and buy and put on tick. It's so easy for them to do it, but there's no real uh, financial literacy taught. I wouldn't expect teachers to be able to teach it. You'd need specialised people to do that. Mm. I used to be a business mentor a number of years ago, did it for about two years, and it was always the same problem. How you handled your money, how you budgeted, and there wasn't any in a lot of the people that I actually mentored. And that was the first lesson they had to learn. Some of them didn't want to know. And it's the same today. If you talk to people about handling your money or budgeting, they don't want to know. Their eyes glaze over and they yeah. move on. Yeah. And that's, that, to me, is one of the biggest things. I mean, you've got people that are in a desperate situation. They're on benefits, but they won't give up their coffees. They won't give up their smokes and their booze and all the other things and their drugs and whatever else they take. Yeah. And then they run cap in hand to the poor old hapless taxpayer for more money. And they say, I'm poverty-stricken. But nobody actually goes and looks behind the curtain and says, 
this is why you like that fella and there is no more money, sort yourself out. You have to go and learn some financial literacy. Yeah, well, they haven't been taught that in the first place, so that's a failure of the of society to, to bring up the others. So, you know, if we're going to define poverty, if we're going to measure it and then we're going to fix it, then maybe you're right. Financial literacy has to become part of the curriculum. Absolutely. And it's that, as important as, as reading and writing and all the other things. Mm. If you don't know how to handle money or how to do things... But you see, when we do these poverty debates, everyone goes, well, they've got their fags and their booze and their Sky TV, and I actually think that is a generalised statement, and there's a lot of people out there who don't have the fags, the booze and the Sky right. TV who are still struggling. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, you know, if you taught people... Uh, in the first place, the whole of society would be that much stronger for everybody being financially literate. Just like if you didn't teach reading in schools and people were illiterate, you'd have a hell of a lot more problems. Yeah. And, and I just believe it's just one of those fundamental things that people need to do. Yep. All right, John, thank you so much for your call. 0800 is the number to phone. Jane, uh, Jamie sent me a, a little uh, email here, which I thought was quite nice. This morning as I waited for the bus in the rain, I overheard two elderly men chatting away in the bus shelter about employment and wages and the recession. And the one thing I took away from me before my bus arrived was this from what one of the men said. We live to survive, to survive to live. She writes, poverty is materialism, emotional, physical, mentally, and spiritually. It's much more than what's on the surface, but what lies underneath. Thank you for sharing that quote with us, uh, Jamie. We have poverty, but it's a lot broader than most people define when we have a political debate about it. And I thank the Maxim Institute for bringing this up and getting us to talk about it, perhaps uh, rationally, rather than just taking extreme sides. It is at two to two. Many other things to discuss. Yes, enough poverty already. We need to talk about bringing back the mower. That's Trevor Mallard's idea. He wants to bring back the mower. True.